All right, big guest today. It's legendary Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. He's a very well-read and intelligent guy. And I guess I missed the mark on his spiritual beliefs uh, because I didn't know the words he was saying, but I later did Google them and he has some very interesting takes on that and a whole lot more. We're going to discuss the new album, recording the guitar solo for Aqualung, touring with Led Zeppelin, and how he deals with fans nowadays. So it's a short interview, but it's packed with great stuff, so enjoy it. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the show. That's okay. Welcome to... uh um, wherever I am, yes, in, in an office room somewhere. Okay, yeah. carry on. All right. Fire away. All right. Fire well, so, away. Yeah, so you've got a new record out. And it's funny, I was just having this discussion with my friend yesterday about a movie star that retired in her 40s. Now, you must clearly have enough money to retire. Have you ever thought about just retiring? You must be doing this for the love of the music, right? Well, I'm doing it because, frankly, I don't have anything better to do. I've, I've, had, a, I've had a very few jobs in my life, yeah. and none of them I particularly want to do again. So at this, at this stage in my life, this is all I've got. Um, I had to give up thoughts of being a British Airways uh, um, jet uh, captain because I would have had to have retired um, nine years ago. If I was, mm. if I was the pilot of a, of a Boeing 777, working for British Airways, then 65, it would have been, you know, thank you and good night. Mm -hmm. If I was a professional tennis player, I probably would have been over, goodness me, you know, probably 40 years ago. Right. Same as if I I was a Formula One racing driver, if I was, uh, lots of things, you know, life would have been finished by now. But luckily I chose to be a musician. So, um, you know, we have that distinction of dying with our boots on, like John Wayne in a black and white cowboy western. You know, we we go on until, you know, that shootout at the uh, at the final um, um, outside the uh, outside the bar in uh, Main Streets of some cowboy town. We we, <laughs> we 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 die a romantic and glorious death. That's what uh, musicians get to do. Some of them, of course, mysteriously die at the age of 27. Mm-hmm. But happily, I'm way past that threshold. Yeah. And that, uh, that, that, uh, I survived 27 and, and I'm 74 and still okay. So perhaps I have an, uh, you know, realistically two or three more professional years left to me. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe, so you're still creating. Longer. And this is amazing. So the new record's called Zealot Gene. And uh, I'm told this is a reference to some particular world leaders, maybe six or eight, that uh, have some scary policies. So is that, is that correct on that? Well, the title track, I mean, yeah. the, the zealot gene that is a song really about social media and extreme views and politics and and um, and society manifesting themselves on Twitter and Facebook and other social media. But it's an outlet for people who want to get crazy and, and be hurtful <laughs> and damaging and divisive with others. But that's not the topic of the whole album. The, mm. the whole album is based on a series of songs, each one about a different strong human emotion. And I sat down initially with a list of words to describe strong human emotions, words like anger and greed and jealousy, retribution, and some nice stuff like love and compassion and tolerance and companionship. And my list of words was the, the focus for the, I suppose, the, the not necessarily in the titles, but was the subject matter of each individual song. 
And that um, that is the way that it began back in 2017. And then, you know, when it came to working on a new album in on January the 1st of 2022, when I started work, it uh, it was a starting point was to sit down and structure something on the page in terms of a, a concept, a theme, something I would write a bunch of material about. And, and with that template of simple ideas, I set out to join the dots together and, and come up with the, the ideas for 12 different songs. Um, and that is at the point now where I, having come back from Portugal yesterday, doing some oh. concerts in Italy the week before that, I'm now, for the next three weeks, able to start progressing that and working on some demos to send to the band with a view to recording at odd points during this year when we're not actually on tour. Well, that's exciting. Well, so one of the songs I was going to ask you about, that's cool that you say each song is an emotion, because that's exactly what I was thinking when I heard the song Mine is the Mountain. Because it starts off almost with like a Halloween demonic vibe, but then the the vibe I feel like it changes, and the and the lyrics are really cool. I, I feel like the first line might be from the Bible. Can you explain the emotions behind that song? Well, with the, the list of words that I began with for the songs, I I suddenly had the idea that I'd seen all those words prominently displayed in various parts of of the of the uh, the Christian Bible, and so I did a an internet search to see examples of those words in biblical text, which served as a comparison, you know, for writing songs that for the most part were set in the present day. But, you know, I could I could just draw on as analogies or metaphors certain biblical um, similarities and examples. But perhaps the one song that is clearly set in a biblical context is Minus the Mountain, and that is uh, indeed a song sung from the viewpoint of, of uh, the Christian God, um, or in fact the Jewish God. And, and I, and I kind of kept it in that context because I'd, I wrote a song in 1971 called My God on the Aqualung album, which again was, I suppose, pleading for some sympathy for the idea of the the uh, the deity feeling a little bit um, um, put upon, a little bit um, demanded of, and and so huh. in the, those who follow the, uh, the the traditions of Christianity are used to the idea of prayer, of worship, the idea that we want something from our God, we want not to catch COVID, and we want to be healthy. Uh, so that we can go with our buddies and watch the football game on Saturday. <laughs> you know, we're wanting something. And and I don't really believe in an interventionist God. I'm, I'm, I think, quite an intensely spiritual person. And I have a huge esteem for Christianity, indeed, for other religions too. But my own feeling is I don't, I don't, I don't believe in the idea of having to wish for things and and in some way try to buy those things by through the act of worship and um so i'm i'm you know a little bit um cynical about that and and i i think i try and walk that narrow line between being disrespectful to religion and trying to point out that there are many things that we we seem to accept and buy into in terms of our practice 
of, uh, of religious worship, which are maybe just a little bit unrealistic and a bit, a bit presumptuous. So my, my idea of the, uh, the Godhead, the spiritual oneness of, of humanity and everything that exists is closer to the world of pantheism or perhaps deism, but not really in terms of the, the modern or the past form of Christian worship, which, um, as I say, I have huge respect for, but I don't practice it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, you know, the, the, the weird thing is, or for some people, the weird thing is I spend many, many, many thousands of pounds a year doing um, doing uh, fundraising concerts for the church and the cathedrals, not only in the UK, but elsewhere in Europe. It's something that I, I have a, an enormous uh, sense of reverence for is the is the places of worship, even though when I go in them and draw people into those places to participate in Christmas concerts as part of the Christian Christmas tradition, I am not, um, I am not doing it with a sense of, of prayer and worship in the way that perhaps some others might do. But I still think there's an enormous value of bringing people into that spiritual sense of being together in the church and the cathedrals are a great place to do that. You know, where Mm -hmm. as soon as you walk through the doors, you you hush your voice, you calm down, you enter into some kind of a spiritual communion with whatever it is. You may not know the name for it. You may not have a, um, a real consciousness about it, but it is something that I think manifests itself for the better. And so I encourage people to go to churches and cathedrals and sit quietly and contemplate their navels, whether they're Christian or Hindus or Jews or Muslims, you know, all are welcome. And all are welcome at my Christmas concerts. So what uh, would you call yourself then, an atheist or an agnostic or? Well, I just told you what I call myself, (laughs) a pantheist or a deist. Okay. Those words you're familiar with, because if they're not, I, yeah, just, I'm not. Just Google them. Just okay, okay. Google them. I'll, I'll pantheist, look that up. That's an interesting one. and deist. No, okay. I'm not an atheist. No, I'm uh, someone who has a great spiritual belief, and I do have a huge belief in the idea of a of a of a, a oneness, which is what people call God. Okay. But it's just that my way of recognizing that and and acknowledging it are not not quite the ways of the Christian tradition. Right. No, that makes sense. Uh, that's a cool mm-hmm. song. But the other one uh, I was going to ask you about was Shoshana Sleeping, because it's a cool riff and you play the riff on guitar and flute. So when you write a song like that, do you write it on the guitar or the flute? Do you always write the same way or do you write it on different instruments? Because you play, obviously, several instruments. Well, I think that particular song, I was playing the guitar when I decided the the, the chords and the, um, and the riff, but... Um, you know, it varies from song to song. Sometimes things come up as a, you know, as a flute line, and a flute plays. It's a monophonic instrument. It doesn't have. It can't play chords or two notes at the same time. It is simply one note. So it's a little ambiguous when it comes to the harmonic implications of what you play. But that that can be quite fun when you come up with something that sounds nice as a melody or as a a riff. And then you have to work out what's going to go with this. You know, where, harmonically speaking, where do I go? What other notes will work with that? So it's a combination, really, of working, sometimes writing things with a guitar, sometimes writing things that begin with a melody or even begin with the lyrics. And then I have to try and uh, find the melody that works with those lyrics, which is not usually too hard. Mm -hmm. uh, Because writing lyrics, you know, there is 
when you write some words, they have rhythm, they have cadence in the way that you speak them. You know, they don't, they're not all on the same level like that. They go, you know, they, they rise and fall as mm-hmm. human speech does. And that is the beginning of melody. You know, you have a, a sense that something will rise and fall in the way that you, you enunciate those words. And if you write verse, it has rhythm, it has a meter, which implies again tempo, and it implies something which you can ultimately reduce to a a drum pattern, if you want to put it in those terms. So, you know, the act of writing the words first, sometimes the melody comes quite quickly afterwards. The worst thing is trying to write words having written the detail of of a melody and chords and recorded perhaps a backing track and then thinking, mm. what's this song going to be about? It's too late. You know, the mm. train, the train has already left the station. And whatever you do trying to catch up will be a, a somewhat difficult experience and, and a feeling of perhaps it being a rather artificial one because it doesn't flow in the organic way that you do when you try to come up with a title, words and music kind of all at the same time. That's the the nice way to work as a writer. So, and then, and you're writing and producing and even I was funny, I was reading the comments on Aqualung on YouTube last night and they said that people were saying that's one of the best guitar solos of all time. Now, clearly you're not writing the guitar solo, but when you're producing, how do you, get the guitar solo in, do you, do you give Martin or whoever the new guitar player is, do you give them a time limit or do you tell them an emotion? The song is about this, or do you just say, go off and do whatever you want to do? Well, when the song was written, it was written and arranged in a very specific way. So by the time Martin came to play his guitar solo, there were a set number of bars that he had to fill in. And, um, he, uh, he had a completely free hand as to what he played in that improvised solo. And I remember vividly recording that because I was sitting in the control room and Martin was just getting ready to do the take of that, uh, of that performance. And we were just about to run the tape and behind me, I was aware that somebody had entered into the control room and it was Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. And, um, and the tape started rolling and Martin's was just waiting for that cue to play his guitar solo. And when he saw Jimmy Page standing behind me and and Martin actually played that guitar solo with Jimmy Page watching him going, yeah, come on, Martin. Yeah. He said, <laughs> I think he said live. he had to do the take because if he didn't get it in one or two takes, he's like, it might've been a flute solo then because. <laughs> well, that, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of that, you know, that sometimes pressure can be a good thing in that way. Right. Well, you guys did shows with Led Zeppelin. What what was that like? That must have been amazing to play with. Them. I've never seen those li- those guys live. Obviously, I'm too young. But uh, well, it was a, always an illustrative experience working with other great uh, musicians and different acts over different periods of time. But I think in um, you know they, they were a year ahead of us in their experience of performing in the USA, so they were already pretty big when we were their opening act and. You know, I, I, I certainly learned some things about performance and the dynamics of Led Zeppelin, which were very strong, very profound in the way that they played. And and something of the swagger, I suppose, that was obvious, particularly from Robert Plant and, and um, to a degree from Jimmy Page. So in terms of their performance in, in that very emotional and very aware way, the swaggering, the um, the um, the rock god kind of approach. It, it was something that I thought, well, I can 
pick up something from that, but I, I have to do it in my way. Mm-hmm. My, my chest, my bared chest was not as pretty as Robert's. <laughs> and my, my vocal capabilities were um, hugely inferior to his. So I knew I could never be that kind of a singer and do it that sort of a way. But then on the other hand, Robert Plant couldn't play flute. And, um, there you go. and um, so, you know, I had certain, certain assets that I could develop on stage. And um, as far as I know, Robert Plant never got round to wearing a codpiece and tights, <laughs> at least not in public. <laughs> what he did in the privacy of his own home, of course, is his own business entirely. But, um, right. you know, we, 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 we all evolve in our different ways and, and learning from others is part of what we do, but it's a good idea to to learn what not to do. Absolutely, as well as to learn what to do. So I I I, um, I think many of the many of the acts that I've seen over the years, particularly in those early formative days, it was about about realizing that I couldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. I wasn't possessed of that talent or ability. So you, it focuses you on concentrating on the things you feel you can do to develop as a musician and as a performer. So being with Led Zeppelin was, was very illustrative. And um, they certainly, um, you know, they certainly had a great time on tour. They they loved, they were very gregarious. They liked to have parties and meet lots of girls and, <laughs> and, um, and were pretty active in that regard. But... I think I, I think after I the second time I turned down the opportunity or the offer to go to a Led Zeppelin after show party, I think they decided that I was not made of the same sort of stuff. Right. And they didn't invite <laughs> me again. So I, but you know, I I just don't like parties and crowds yeah. of people and, and and the whole groupy thing was just you know it was just so you know so silly really. I I don't find um, I don't find that kind of a world attractive. I'm. You know, I'm I'm a solitary guy, and when it comes to relationships, I think it's really got to be something you you win on a one to one basis, not something that you take advantage of just because it's there, mm. like a crate of beer in the corner of the uh, of uh, one of the road crew's um, hotel room. Right. So then, how do you deal with fans? Because I heard you say that even at the airport with a mask on and a hat, fans will recognize you. So how do you deal with that when fans are kind of mobbing you? Well, I try to tell myself to be polite and, and say thank you. It's very nice to see you. Thanks for coming along. And but um, you know, right at the moment in in these COVID years, it's not a great idea to be up close and personal and posing for selfies. Um, so I'm you know, I try to discourage people from from getting close because it's not just a question of my becoming sick. It's a question of if I'm sick, I put everybody out of a job for two weeks. Mm. You know, and the band and crew were all in that same position. We we owe it to each other to be super careful, and uh, and and so far, you know, since last end of last August, we've been on uh, you know quite a few tours in a, a whole bunch of different countries, and each one with its own different uh, rules and regulations. And so far, only one of the band has had COVID, and happily caught it over Christmas when we didn't have any shows to do. So. Uh, and he, being much younger, didn't suffer unduly, having had his vaccinations and um, and his booster dose, so he got off lightly. But there are there are three of us amongst the band and crew who are clinically more vulnerable mm-hmm. if we get COVID. But you know, we one big huge thing is it's it's uh, it's 
the guys were out of work for two years. They didn't have a job to go to. No money coming yeah. in, nothing to pay the bill, nothing to pay the rent, to pay the electricity bill, to pay the food sh the shopping bill. And so now that we're back on the road, we really, really are trying to be careful not to be the one who puts everybody else out of a job. Okay. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. That's really um, selfless. Well, speaking of selfless, I know you got to get going, but I do like to end each episode uh, mentioning a charity. Is there any charities that you've worked with or you want to give a shout out to here at the end? Well, my, my, most of my charitable work is really doing, uh, doing the uh, Christmas concerts, raising funds for cathedrals and churches to, to, to put the roof back on and, uh, and repair the organ and do all the things that are the, the ongoing work. And, you know, I remember doing a concert somewhere in Italy in a church because it had been damaged during an earthquake. Mm. You know, and it's a, these are the things I suppose I connect with most easily, but there are a number of other charitable concerns that I support. I support a couple of charities in Israel that do, uh, do work to promote the, um, the living side by side of different uh, religious and social factions, supporting co-education amongst uh, amongst Israeli Arabs, Jews, and Christians. And so I've done that for quite a few years and um, something I continue to do and turn my attention to once again uh, as that time of the year comes up. But, you know, th there are certain things I suppose you can do when you, you're, you're paying back a little bit for the enormous luck and, and good fortune that you've enjoyed over the years. And so giving something back is, is something not just enjoyable, but it's something that feels a little bit of an obligation. And, and I, I happily, I happily do that. And it, it, um, it tends these days to be more altruistic and more to do with the world of, of, of spirituality. I suppose I'm more connected with that and, and, uh, and do that sort of thing. I don't donate money to the local football team um, <laughs> or, well, in fact, a lot of things that people are asking me all the time to contribute to this and that and whatever, because they know I'm a, a slightly charitable person. So I, I have to turn so many people down over so many different mm. topics. But um, the things I do are mostly connected with um, either with the environment, endangered animal species, and um, and um, and most obviously the, the, the spiritual world of trying to... Um, do what I can to, to, to continue with the, the, the value that I, I think all, all of us can derive satisfaction and pleasure and, and something very tangible from, from that rather, rather exotic and hard to pin down spiritual world, especially in these increasingly materialistic and eclectic days where we are um, sidetracked so easily by a lot of other topics and interests, but um, the, the fundamental thing of, you know, friends, family, and the spiritual reality of uh, of, of belief or non-belief. These are the things that you know I suppose occupy my uh, more charitable urges from time to time. But you know, my charity does not extend to taking the road crew out for dinner every day because <laughs> they're a noisy bunch and they yeah. like to talk about. Um, things that I don't particularly enjoy talking about. So I, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a guy who. Um, quite often, I think the people who suffer from my lack of charity are often the people I'm closest to. <laughs> I see see them so much anyway yeah. that um, somehow you know if you have a little bit of time off, you just want to be by yourself and not um, not necessarily um, 
push the uh, the social envelope too far. Absolutely. Well, I'll let you get going because I know you got a ton of interviews. Uh, the Zealot Gene is the album. Everyone can get it on JethroToll.com. Well, they can get it on a, a, a number of platforms yeah. physically and download and all the rest of it all as the they rest. do these days. But yes, I, it's always worth a listen. It may not be your cup of tea, but, you know, give it a listen. Yeah. No, I like it. Okay, Thank you so okay. much. Well, nice to talk to you. Take care. All right. Let's talk again soon. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so I googled the words that he mentioned about his religious beliefs. Uh, Deism is a religi- religious belief holding that God created the universe and established rationally comprehensive moral and natural laws, but does not intervene in human affairs through miracles or supernatural revelation. So he's in between deism and pantheism, and pantheism is the doctrine that God is the transcendent reality of which the material universe and human beings are only manifestations. It involves the denial of God's personality and expresses a tendency to identify God and nature. So he believes it sounds like there's some sort of spiritual thing out there, uh, but not necessarily a specific religion. So very, very deep, deep stuff. And if we had more time, we could delve into it more. Uh, for now, of course, you can check out Jethro Toll's new album, The Zealot Gene, on streaming or order f- a physical copy on the band's website. I put in the show notes. And you can follow Jethro Toll on social media, even though Ian doesn't like social media. Someone is running that account. So I'm on all the social media as well. Check out Instagram or TikTok for short clips. Uh, Go to my YouTube and subscribe. You can check out all the full interviews there on the playlist. And uh, thank you so much for listening and watching. Thank you to Ian and his publicist for making this interview happen. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And remember to shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon.